0: More cowbell. I think every sermon needs more cowbell. That's just personal opinion. <laughs> hey, but uh, I'd kind of like to do something we don't do real often at Scum. But I have a question for you I'd like you to discuss with those people around you, if you could. And this is the question, when did a strong person in your life become weak? And how did you respond? When did a strong person in your life become weak? And how did you respond? Maybe it was a parent who was ailing. Uh, Maybe it was a friend who was going through a sorrowful tragedy. Maybe it was a sibling who was having a difficult time. Uh, Maybe it was a mentor, a teacher, whatever. But just, again, when did a strong person in your life become weak? Tell that little story. And then how did you respond? Tell that story, too. So go ahead. Give you a couple minutes. You'll understand the reason for that question when we start reading the scripture verse for today. We're in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 verse 32 through 42 and in this particular instance it's kind of like watching a a tragic car wreck. Maybe you read in the news about that horrible accident up in Thornton this past week where this Ford Expedition basically hits the median, goes airborne, and lands on top of this pickup truck and kills a family of five. But it's one of those deals, I don't know if you're like me, but when you're, when you're in your car and you're driving someplace and there's been a horrible wreck like that, it, you, you can't hardly tear your eyes off of the carnage. And, and then as you pass by, you f- feel guilty for, for having looked and at the same time, you're afraid about what you're going to see because it's it's just, you know, horrible. And, and this passage is kind of like that. We get to see something that, honestly, I, you're wondering why it's even in the Bible. It's just so horrible. Um, we get to see uh, Jesus... In the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplating his coming arrest, torture, crucifixion, death, burial, and all that goes with that. Um, so let's, uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And I'm reading from the New International Version. That's what will be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. And I get to use the pulpit today because all the music stands are being taken. It's official today. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples... Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. here comes my betrayer. Now Jesus is inviting them into something at the beginning of this story that they probably don't want to see. It is difficult when a person who has been significant in your life, someone who has always been in control, someone who has directed your path for the past three years, someone who has not only done miracles and performed healings, but who has taught you the Word of God, somebody who has stood in the face of temptation and not budged someone who has stood up to the powers and authorities of the Romans and the Jews in that ancient world and been strong, all of a sudden become weak. I I don't know why they were sleeping. I mean, they just got done with a Passover meal probably. And there are at least four cups of wine that I know of in the Passover meal if you're not sipping in between while you're eating. So that might have had something to do with their sleepiness. But it was also pretty late. And not much is recorded here of that time. I mean, he went away to pray one hour for the first time. And we just have a small fraction of what Jesus said recorded, possibly because they were sleeping during the rest of it. So, it's a difficult passage. He's inviting them into his passion, into his suffering. And he says to them, watch. Keep watch. Stay here. Keep watch. Now, probably not watching out for the betrayer, Judas, and the guards from the high priests, so that they can hightail it out of there. I mean, Jesus has been predicting his death for quite some time now. He knows what's coming. So he's not saying, keep watch so that we can fight these guys as soon as they come. No, he's saying, watch me. Keep watch for me. Stay awake with me. Like I am about to go into the biggest distress ever. I would like you to keep watch. And they don't realize the importance of what's going on here. If Jesus doesn't get through this time of prayer in Gethsemane, their salvation is in jeopardy. Remember the time back in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus and the disciples were on that boat in the Sea of Galilee and this giant storm comes up, shallow lake, big waves. They're afraid they're going to die. And these are seasoned fishermen, some of them. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And they can't believe it. Jesus, how could you be sleeping? Don't you care if we die? And so Jesus stands up and says to the wind and the waves, No, know, be quiet, and calms down and goes back to sleep, I guess. And they're all in amazement. Now, they thought they were in peril then, but Jesus obviously knew they weren't because Jesus was... Taking a nap. This is the ironic thing. Jesus is the one who's saying, Oh, this is a terrible time. I, I need you to stay awake and be with me. The 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 eternity of every human being on the face of the earth for all of history is hanging in the balance. This is a terrible, horrible time. I can't sleep, Jesus says. I am too terrified. And the disciples picked that time to fall asleep. Obviously missing something because the storm on the ocean was nothing compared to the storm that was brewing spiritually at this point in the history of the earth. And then Jesus, it says, verse 35, going a little farther, he falls to the ground. Do you know the typical Jewish posture for prayer? It's like this. Eyes up, hands raised. Only in moments of extreme distress was it proper For you to fall, prostrate on the ground with your face in the dirt. And Jesus does just that. He can't even stand up. And don't think that the devil wasn't there in Gethsemane tempting him away from what he knew he had to do. We, we tend to think that Jesus had that 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, and at the end of that, the devil came to him with three temptations, and then it was over. No, the Scripture says the devil left him until an opportune time. And trust me, I think every moment is opportune time for the devil. And especially at the crossroads, literally the crux, you know what? Crux means cross, right? At the crux of Jesus' ministry right here. And Jesus prays, Abba, Father. That, that means Daddy. That means Dad. He's, he's using a term not very, well, not ever used up to that point that we're aware of. People called God Father, but this Aramaic term is one of extreme endearment. It'd be like Papa if you were a Heilman kid. It'd be like daddy if you were somebody else. It's it's intimate, it's close. And he prays for another way. And one can only get the impression that there is no other way. Jesus prayed a prayer. And it looks like the answer was no. I've considered all the options, Jesus, and this is it. And then Jesus submits himself to his Father's will and then is determined to carry it out. Meanwhile, the disciples are sleeping. And Jesus, it seems to me, has extreme tenderness for them. When he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, that's kind of like the best thing you could say about a bad situation when your friends are starting to desert you. But it shows the great love that he has, not only for his disciples, but also for us. He knows that that we are dust. And then at the end, the third time he comes back, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. That word enough is interesting, because when you first read it, you're thinking like, Jesus is going, enough already, you've been sleeping all night, I've been up here like sweating blood, what are you doing? You can't stay enough sleep. Well, maybe, but I doubt it. It doesn't really fit, I don't think, the context of the overall passage, and the Greek word itself is is one of an accounting. It's it's more like saying um, it's settled. The account is paid up. Uh, I've done it. No more questions asked. Enough. I'm ready. And then he says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So instead of actually fleeing and going away from his betrayer, he actually walks toward what appears to be certain death. Now, you can cue it up. I uh, did a little research, and I thought, I wonder if I could find a Gethsemane scene from all the Jesus movies that have ever been made. And most of them are, I don't know, kind of like you know, white bread compared to a heavy, dark Jewish rye. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I love the Jesus film. It's been around for 25 years, probably seen by more people than any other movie in the history of the world, and rightly so. Very, very accurate to the original text of the gospels but but I, I i looked at that scene and honestly it compared to mel gibson's the passion it was it was kind of like looking at a flannel graph you know <laughs> jesus is in this white robes you know and he's like kind of skinny and kind of um clean and he uh goes and kind of kneels down with this big rock and kneels his head down and he's praying you know father if it's possible Take this cup from me. And his hair is covering his face. So, I mean, he hasn't been sweating up to this point, so I imagine you have to believe he's sweating. But then all of a sudden, you see these these giant drops of red blood, like, hitting. And it, and it was weird because I remember looking at the thing, and, and, and it, you know, his face is here. And he wasn't sweating a moment ago. And all of a sudden, these giant red drops are hitting, like, right over here in front of his head. Like, like off camera, there's some dude with with an eyedropper full of red dye, like going. Brr, brrr, brrr. <laughs> it was just good movie in a lot of ways, but not, not there. So, I. Actually, we're gonna see literally nine minutes of the Passion, and when you see this, I mean, it's gonna be all in the. Um, Ancient languages, there's no subtitles. When you, when you see Jesus in the garden, you'll know it's Jesus, and you'll know who the disciples are, Peter, James, and John, because they'll be sleeping when you first see them. And then um, there'll be this other shadowy figure in the garden, and uh, I, I, I'm 100% certain that was uh, Mel Gibson's way of portraying the fact that the tempter was in the garden trying to bring Jesus away from what he was about to do. So, are we about ready, guys? Okay, let's go ahead and show it. They don't make flammel like that. But if you're paying attention, you get to feel a little bit about what Jesus feels. I think you get to feel distressed. Jesus said, My soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled, and those words really don't conjure up in English. I think the the emotion that the Greek words do. It's more like alarmed. It's more like jarred. It's it, kind of like when in the morning, if if you've got one of those terrible buzzer alarm clocks, and you're in a deep sleep, and it goes, and you wake up, and you're 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 jarred. That's what Jesus felt like emotionally. I mean, I think that Caviezel does a great job in this film of portraying that, better than anybody I've ever seen before, portraying that in film. The Apostle um, Peter's, whose gospel we believe uh, this is, doesn't include all the details, uh, at least the Gospel of Mark doesn't include the details that some of the other Gospels include, but... Um, Luke does say that he, he sweat drops of blood, that he was in such agony that his capillaries on his face were breaking and and uh, and mixing with the sweat as it came down. And, and you wonder why the turmoil. I mean, is it the turmoil because, because Jesus is afraid of facing a crucifixion? Well, I'm sure that was part of it. Nobody... In their right mind, and Jesus was obviously of sound mind, would look forward to having nails into his hands and and, and spikes into his feet and a crown of thorns and, and things like that. But remember the Isaiah verse? He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. But well, obviously he's pierced. He's pierced in the hands and the feet and in, in the brow. It even says that at the end a Roman soldier came and took a long spear and pierced him in the side. But what about the crush for our iniquities? The crushed for our wickedness is what that means. So there's something else going on here. We are in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Gethsemane means the oil press. We're in the Mount of Olives. Lots of olive trees, obviously. And, and this is a garden, perhaps where there once was, or still was, an oil press. A place where they make olive oil. They take the olives that have been growing all around. They put them in this large vat. And then they have a press that comes down and they smash them. And they keep smashing them. And they press them. And they press them. And so, you know, if you're if you're... A cook in the kitchen, you know, the very first pressing is extra virgin olive oil. It's the, it's the darkest green of all the types. And then, you know, but they keep pressing after that. And after that, you get, um, virgin olive oil. Not extra virgin, just virgin. It's not quite as, 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 as rich or robust. But they don't stop there. They keep going. In terms of the label at the store, it may at this point just say, olive oil so we are in a place where olives are crushed and Jesus is being crushed it seems psychologically emotionally spiritually he's going through intense turmoil he speaks about the cup and the hour If you go to the Old Testament, you will see that those words are loaded with meaning. The cup of God's wrath in Isaiah, the cup of God's desolation, the cup of horror, these are cups that speak of the judgment of Israel. The hour when God comes and exercises His justice upon the world, that's spoken of in the Old Testament when Jesus is talking about this, he's not just talking about his physical suffering. He is talking, I think, even more about the emotional and spiritual and intellectual suffering that he is going through. We all know that Jesus died for our sins, but let me let me try and paint this picture a little bit differently. Let's suppose for a minute that you're eight years old and you have been bad that day and your parents believe in spanking if you're like me i i always dreaded the words wait till your father comes home and i heard those words a lot so what if for example what if instead of getting punished on a fairly consistent basis with my infractions, what if my father had decided to wait until Tuesday, or let's say Friday, for me to pay for all of the things I had done wrong for that week? So, you know, Saturday, pretty good day. Sunday's great day. Monday's a great day. Until Thursday, then I'm starting to get worried. And on Friday... It's a pretty bad day because that's the day dad comes and says, okay, Mike, for all the stuff you've done, you're going to get punished on Friday. Well, what if, what if your father only did that once a month? that would be a really bad day. Or what if, what, if, what if you only got punished once a year for all the stuff you did? Because your parents don't really like the idea of punishment but they saved it all up. What if God saved one day from your entire life for you to be punished for all the bad things you ever did or thought or said? You may not survive that day. Now let's take a look at all the sins for all the people in the history of the world for their whole lives on one occasion. And then you understand a bit about what Jesus was facing, what kind of punishment he was about to endure, so much so that we'll talk about this later on in the series, he his father turns his face away, and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's this sweet fellowship. There's this intimacy, greater than any intimacy you've ever had with your parents, by far. Greater with any intimacy you've ever had with your spouse, by a long shot. And that comes to an end. If God the Father came to me and said, Mike, I want you to go three days without me. I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could go back to those dark days, those, that the tortured mind, the... I just don't, I think I'd rather die and go back to that kind of a thing. And this is what Jesus is facing, except time's infinity. What Jesus is doing is the impossible. Remember back when we were talking about the rich young ruler... um, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, um, with God, all things are possible because the disciples are freaked out. They are going, well, who can be saved if this scenario is true? And Jesus says, hey, with God, all things are possible. Jesus knows that with God, all things are possible. And so Jesus is on his face pleading to God, if it's possible, please find another way. And what God is saying, if the impossible could happen, if I could redeem a whole humanity back to myself after all they have done to hate each other and hurt each other and spit in my face, if there were any other way, I would do it. If the impossible could happen, then this is the only possible way for Jesus to go through what he went through. Peter Bolt in his book, The Cross from a Distance, says this, and I want you to follow with me on on this quote. Ultimately, Father and Son are in this together. The son will go willingly to his death at his father's command. The father will lovingly restrain his rescuing hand and allow the son to suffer. The many will find their impossible possibility through this great act of God in human history. The many will find their impossible possibility through this great act of God in human history. So, Jesus is in this great distress, this terrible turmoil of soul, but he submits himself to his Father's will, even though it's going to be excruciatingly difficult. I mean, of all the things that Jesus did, Why are we given a peek into this? Because it's that important. There's lots of things that Jesus did, we're told, that are not recorded in the Gospels. And yet this, getting a glimpse into a God who is weak, into a Savior who loses, who doubts, is important to put in. Attempts at this point to, to dr- apply this to our lives just become almost ludicrous. But I will nonetheless, because to us, they become huge. The desire to serve myself is ingrained in who I am, it's an iron soldier shouting out commands. I want comfort at no cost. I want peace on my own terms. I remember when I was uh, a salesperson and I was an hour away from home up in Michigan someplace and my wife would call, Mary would call and things were terrible at home. You know, kids aren't getting along, checkbooks not balancing, you know, got a water shut off notice or something like that. And, you know, she's freaking out on the other end. And I'm 50 miles away, and I'm thinking, I, I really can't do anything. Honest. I, I'm, I'm up here trying to make enough money so I can pay the public utility bill. And I I really probably shouldn't, I really can't spend 15 minutes talking to you about it so you feel better. Besides that, it's difficult for me. I don't really want to do it. But I did. I did it. Why? Because I was instructed as a Christian young man, as a young Christian husband and father that, that that you know, if you can't take 15 minutes out of your day to talk to your wife who is having a difficult time, then you certainly aren't going to lay down your life for her. Which is what it says for you to do in the same way that Christ laid down His life for the church. That comparison is so ridiculous, I don't know what to say. That I could compare the... Miniscule suffering of taking 15 minutes out of my day out to try and comfort my wife. But that's my struggle. Jesus is my model. Or let's say you're a young mom. And you know what it is like when you're a young mom. I mean, you barely get any sleep when you're supposed to. And it never fails as soon as nighttime comes and you finally fall into that deep, glorious sleep, all of a sudden you're hearing, and the kid is crying, (laughs) and you want to say, shut up. If I just put my pillow over my ears, maybe it'll be okay. And you nudge your husband, and you say, go feed the kid, and you realize you're breastfeeding, And you were having this great dream about when you were a single girl having lots of fun. (laughs) And you have to get up and deny yourself and submit yourself to God's will for your life at that moment, which is to lay down your life for your children. Again, the comparison is nothing. compared to what Jesus did. But this is where Christians need to take their strength. This is where we need to look. We need to look at Gethsemane and, and struggle it out and work it out and get up and with grim determination look life in the eye, look, look our difficulties in the eye and just stamp a foot down and go. Turn your face toward that deal and go meet your fate. I mean, let's face it, you know, even the mom who gets up in the middle of the night and nurses her kid, there's something in it for her because if she doesn't nurse, she'll be in great pain later on. We're too full. I'm too full. It hurts. And let's face it, like, if you're like me and you're called to sacrifice some of your time for your spouse, there's something in it for you. Like when you go home, she likes you. <laughs> as opposed to hating you. For being a total and complete jerk. But but this act of Jesus, according to John Stott, is the only act of pure love unsullied by any taint of ulterior motive. It is a self-giving of God in Christ on a cross for undeserving sinners. I mean, these are the people who are about to abandon Him. These are the people who are about to crucify Him. And once He rises from the dead and establishes His his church on the earth, these are the people who will stop listening to Him. Forget to pray. And when they do pray, get an answer, do whatever they want. This is who Jesus is dying for. This is whom Jesus is dying for. Us! It is the one act of pure love, unsullied by any taint of an ulterior motive. There is very little in it for God in Christ. If there's one thing I wanted to do today, it was to lift up the passion of the Christ in our minds so that we will never take it for granted. The disciples are asleep. The disciples are asleep. And the question I have is, are we asleep? If we read this account and react in any way except Worship and devotion? Wake up! We are asleep if we do not in almost a daily way, thank Jesus for what he's done for us. And I admit to being one who snoozes on a regular basis. I just start doing church. Let's not do church, folks. It really isn't about getting together and seeing your friends and having a meal, singing some songs, It's not even about helping each other out during week. What it's about is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which is only possible because of what Jesus agreed to do in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Garden of the Oil Press where his soul was crushed. And what came out is our life. If Jesus did this for us, then how much more should we, with our lesser concerns, follow Jesus into Gethsemane? If Jesus could do this for us, wrestle with God and come through it with determination to submit to God's will, how much more should we, with our little piddly concerns, do it as well? We are asleep when we forget how weak the flesh is. We are asleep when we forget how weak the flesh is. I pray that the Spirit is willing in this church. I really do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, open our eyes. Keep us awake. Teach us to watch and pray. Let us with wide eyes consider Jesus in the garden and forever be grateful and forever strive to follow him in his extreme distress, in his submission to you, in his determination to follow you. In Christ's name, amen.